I'm Michael Dunn, and you're listening to Oregon Rainmakers from KLCC Studios. My guest today is Eric Van Houten, the CEO of Cascade Health. Cascade Health is a nonprofit healthcare organization that provides occupational health, in-home care, hospice, as well as mental health and nutritional health services. We talk about this complex organization and the important role it plays in our community. Well, Eric Van Houten of Cascade Health, thanks for joining us. Thank you for uh, having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. You know, I always think that Cascade Health is a very complex organization, a lot of moving parts, and, and I think you're well known in the community, but define it for us. What are all the things that Cascade Health does? Yeah, it's a great point, Michael. We are a complex organization. Most people know us for, we call it occupational health, but that's really a technical term. Uh, a lot of people don't know it from that standpoint. They really know it from a workplace health. So. Uh, people come to us uh, pre-employment, or they've been injured on the job, or they need to rehab from an injury on the job. Uh, is really a common place. We serve about 40,000 unique individuals through our workplace health or occupational health services, which is just a fantastic array. We have a full continuum uh, to meet uh, any employer or employee's needs uh, from that standpoint. And that's one aspect of yep. Cascade Health, but there's a whole other side of the house, if you will. Yeah, we kind of talk about that we have three lines of business. The first one is the occupational health, which I just referenced. And then the second one we talk about is our home care services, which really is comprised of our hospice team, our home health team, and then we add in there um, our Pete Moore Hospice House, uh, services that we um, provide to folks who are on hospice but need uh, uh, what we call an inpatient unit care, which is a little higher level of care for uh, hospice needs. Um, that's our home care, uh, and I'll talk more about that if, uh, if it's of interest. And then, <laughs> of course, uh, then we do an array of clinic-based services, which includes our uh, physical, physical and hand therapy, um, mental health or behavioral health counseling, and then a great diabetes nutrition education uh, team uh, that uh, all provide services to people. Um, they come into the clinic for services. So. How did it begin? Tell us about the history of Cascade Health. Yeah, that's a fun story. So all of our services were uh, born out of uh, Mackenzie Willamette Hospital going from a community-based hospital, standalone hospital over in Springfield. Uh, they made a really difficult decision back in 2003 to sell their assets to a for-profit uh, hospital chain. Um, if you're familiar with what was happening back in the early 2000s, there was mass technological changes and um, the leadership of Mackenzie Willamette Hospital realized they couldn't keep up as a standalone hospital, and so they really needed to continue to um, provide that level of care in our community over in Springfield. They had to make a difficult decision and sell to a for-profit entity. And through that process, uh, that leadership made a great decision, in my opinion, and, and let part of the service array go, um, create a nonprofit um, called Cascade Health. Uh, so we've been in the community for more than 50 years, um, but we've been a standalone nonprofit in the last, uh, going on 20 years in October of 2023. Um, and, you know, I'd just like to clarify that, you know, once that ended in 20, 2003, our formal relationship with Mackenzie Willamette Hospital ended at that point. So we are an independent, standalone nonprofit healthcare provider. What are some of the advantages of being a nonprofit? <laughs> um, I, for me, it's really where uh, healthcare should be, is in a nonprofit standpoint. That uh, the idea that um, a um, healthcare entity 
um, makes profits and then it leaves the community, goes to a shareholder or a, uh, uh, you know, an investment firm who's invested in an entity is, is just, um, that's bordering on criminal. Uh, so the honorable, mission-oriented healthcare delivery that we're able to provide as a nonprofit 501c3 nonprofit healthcare provider in our community is really meeting where our patients are at. Uh, requires us to have a philanthropic strategy, um, giving back to our community, uh, which we do. Uh, and so it's it's easy to get behind the mission. Uh, when you know that um, you know all the assets remain here in our community and are uh, reinvested back into the organization or to our community. Yeah. Did you sort of you've talked about the different 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 lines of business? Yeah. Did they all when you began as 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 you currently exist now? Were they all there together, or have you added services over time as needs warranted? It's a great question, Michael. So. Our core services are the same. We've just added components to it. A great example being uh, we just recently added the physical and hand therapy uh, and outpatient clinic. Um, so that is something we added in 2022. Um, but we always did physical uh, therapy and occupational therapy through our um, workplace health. So we added to the component. Another great example is the Pete Moore Hospice House. We've been delivering hospice care since the 80s, and we added this um, inpatient unit or a hospice house um, to our service array back in 2017 uh, to meet the community's needs yeah well we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna break these down into different 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 uh, uh, subjects to talk about so let's let's go to occupational health first because I imagine that that must be a, a real growing line of business because of the need of uh, you know obviously, People doing work, getting injured, and 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 you being able to take care of them—that must be something that has really kind of evolved over the past, the intervening decades. You know, it has a lot. When we first started, uh, if you think about the industry, you know, we've talked in our um, in our country, particularly since um, you know pre-pandemic and into the pandemic, that you know we are doing less uh, physical work uh, than we did at one time and so when you think about somebody working in a lumber yard or working with manual labor you get a lot of injuries from that standpoint but the injuries have evolved more and more of us are sitting at a keyboard and so we have different kind of injuries they may not be as acute and, uh, and from that standpoint they're more chronic more um, ongoing injury to your hands by chronic use of your hands neck things like that so our responsivity to the community is different from that standpoint but it's equally important. Um, and, you know, there's other challenges that have faced it. More people are working a hybrid kind of strategy. So our providers and our clinical team has gotten to, has had to be more creative in how we intervene and provide care to uh, employers. One of the biggest challenges, uh, to be honest, is um, employers need a response back almost immediately because the, well, the workforce is so... Uh, you know, employees are really in the driving seat. They are the ones that are able to, you know, set the set the standard of when they can get employed. And so that's something that we've been working on, our responsivity to that need. Sure. And then I would imagine a big part of what you do isn't necessarily uh, uh, treating an injury or, or doing rehab after something has happened. It's to prevent it in the first place. Absolutely. That's a key piece is, is helping people and working with employers and helping their employees stay healthier, 
Uh, we do a lot of vaccines, flu and others, as well as uh, uh, strategies to help employers make sure that they have the healthiest workforce they can possibly have so they avoid those injuries to begin with, as you referenced. Sure. And I imagine, you know, uh, uh, pre-employment screening, drug testing, that's a big part of it as well, right? It is, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, too, about um, you talked about vaccines and... I would imagine that um, your organization must have been, it must have been a very crazy time during the height of COVID. And I know that you were, you were one of the first organizations to be able to provide widespread vaccines and, and stuff along with other organizations. Um, talk about both the logistics of of, of, of providing vaccines during COVID, but then, I mean, you're the boss. What was it like managing during that time? <laughs> Um, you know, my least favorite word is the boss, but um, uh, COVID was an incredible opportunity and a tremendous headache. Uh, we partnered with Lane County Public Health and other uh, entities <coughs> to make sure that uh, our community was covered. Um, it was an absolute honor to be part of that solution um, to make sure that the COVID vaccines were widespread within our community. Couldn't have done it without Mackenzie Willamette, Hosp Med Mackenzie Willamette Medical Center, Peace Health Hospitals, as well as Lane County Public Health. But it was a real honor to um, provide a community-based access point for folks to come in and get and get the vaccine. Um, and I think we served over 16,000 people, uh, did about 30,000 um, vaccinations, individual vaccinations. We worked closely with the public schools, all the school districts in our area, Springfield, 4J, and Bethel. Uh, so it was great to be able to offer that vaccine to people who are, you know, we're really working the front lines uh, out there taking care of our community. So it was a fantastic uh, opportunity. Uh, and yeah, it was a tremendous headache uh, when the Oregon Health Authority um, laid out the mandate um, for healthcare entities around um, requiring people get vaccinated, it created a lot of hardship. And um, and people felt very passionate, um, both sides of the uh, both sides of the equation or both sides of the decision. Uh, and we took uh, tried to take as uh, a middle ground approach, uh, making sure that we honored people's perspective, um, but also made sure that we were uh, keeping the community uh, safe. And that community includes our patients uh, and our employees. So yeah. uh, we struck that balance and. Um, you know, I think we're better for it uh, as a community and certainly as a as an employer. I imagine when when you first knew you were going to be part of this solution of providing vaccines, and and my memory going back to that time was there was a lot of unknowns. I mean, little not simple things, but just you know, how are we going to keep the Pfizer vaccine at the right temperature? It must have felt like wow, we're kind of and I hate this. It's a cliche, but I'll use it we're kind of building the airplane as it's flying. Did it feel like that? Absolutely. Uh, Travis Brook, who's our occupational health director, uh, was instrumental in making sure that we got all the pieces together and we were doing everything right. Uh, the training was quick, um, but uh, well done. Uh, and we were able to make sure that we followed all the P's and Q's to ensure that um, we were able to deliver vaccines safely to folks. Um, and it was, it very much was the uh, things were moving and we were just moving along with it. Yeah, yeah. We're going to take our first break. We're talking with Eric Van Houten. He is the CEO of Cascade Health. We'll be right back. 
In a time of profound change, we are grateful for the consistent support from our sustaining members. It is because of your ongoing generosity that KLCC has been able to serve as a reliable news source for our audiences across Oregon. KLCC sustaining members are truly the foundation of this public service. If you would like to become a sustaining member, visit klcc.org to make your donation today. And we're back talking with Eric Van Houten. He's the CEO of Cascade Health. Um, when a lot of the mandates for COVID came into play, I mean, you have a, a large workforce that is sort of the, 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 the um, you know, the pinnacle of essential workers. You had healthcare workers who needed to go into the home and take care of people. What was it like to kind of develop the necessary protocols and be able to do your business while you had to operate under, I would imagine, extremely difficult circumstances. You know, it's interesting. It felt like every other week we were putting out different protocols and strategies and procedures to make sure staff were safe. Yeah. Um, I really give a lot of credit uh, to the CDC and Oregon Health Authority. There were times when it was frustrating um, because we felt like we were getting uh, mixed messaging, um, but they were you know, I mean, the truth of it is we haven't seen a pandemic. No one alive had really seen a pandemic. So how do we plan for this? How do we work through this? I'm going to do a small plug, and, and unfortunately, I'm not sure it's going to hold, is that um, it was a great example that we have decimated our public health system. Uh, we have invested in, uh, not invested in our public health system. So we were truly uh, caught um, un unprepared or ill-prepared for this pandemic. Uh, so the response was being developed as, as it uh, rolled out, and we got more information about it. I heard a, actually there's a funny quip from a, a late night talk show host about, you remember when we talked about we got to wash, wash, wash our hands, and we realized very quickly that, no, this is really airborne, and we got to make sure that we have the right face shields, um, quality masks, um, and uh, making sure that we had enough quantity of that PPE uh, to make sure our staff were safe uh, out in patients' community and then their homes and out in the community to be able to deliver critical care to folks. Uh, you have a little less control when you're in someone's home uh, than you do in a clinic or in a hospital or an acute setting. Uh, so I just tr give tremendous credit to our leadership and our, and our clinical staff in ensuring they took every step and precaution to be safe. Uh, in our community, uh, caring for our patients. Yeah, and and certainly some of those patients are are the most vulnerable. And I want to kind of move into uh, hospice care because I, I I believe that's probably your largest largest number of employees are involved in hospice. And I, I want to you know talk or talk about what is hospice and 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 kind of further define it between those folks in your employee that go out into the home and care for people in hospice. And then you also, in the last decade and a half or something like that, you've built a, a, a beautiful facility yeah. for people to have uh, hospice care in, in your own physical setting. So, so talk about hospice, um, maybe both from sort of the historical perspective and, and sort of what, what is the critical need that it provides for a, a, an aging population as we find ourselves in. Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, hospice is a difficult uh, conversation to talk about, right? We, yeah. I think we culturally struggle with the idea of death and dying. Uh, and we have, you know, 
Dame Cicely Saunders, who brought the concept of hospice from the UK to the United States and started out as really a, um, a, an entirely volunteer force uh, to sort support people as they're moving through um, life uh, towards an end of life care. And um, it was built upon uh, from that standpoint and really brought into more, I would say, more mainstream in the 80s when Medicare uh, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services uh, recognized it as a service and able, people were able to bill for that. So that, that jump-started it into some uh, organizations providing that, that level of care. Uh, in our community, only two agencies started at that time, and that's um, Peace Health, obviously, and then our organization, Cascade Health. So we're the only two that have been providing that care since that point in our community. And I, maybe not ironically, we're the only two that are the nonprofit uh, hospice care providers in our community. So honorable to do that work. Um, so you asked a little bit about what that is. And, you know, it, it, people have a misrepresentation of that or a misinformation about that, you know, it's where people just go someplace and, um, you know, they only receive water and the minimal amount of care. And, and actually, it's an incredible wraparound services delivered by um, providers, nurse uh, nurses, uh, social workers, uh, bereavement coordinators, volunteers, volunteers, volunteers. And we wrap our services around a patient when they have uh, a prognosis of six months or less uh, to live. Uh, and we're able to come in and support people and their loved ones to uh, manage their symptoms. And so that, is, that can look very different based upon the patient's needs and their diagnosis. Um, so it's not a limiting of services by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, we people do need to stop their curative attempts once they come on hospice, but oftentimes those curative attempts can be life-limiting. Uh, they can be more detrimental to someone when they're in that end stage of their um, disease or diagnosis. So actually people live longer when they're on hospice uh, and when hospice is delivered uh, accurately and appropriately. I know that there was a, a, a news program um, on NPR recently um, and based upon an article in ProPublica and The New Yorker uh, that put a scathing review out there on uh, some of the fraudulent behaviors of some for-profit hospice entities. Um, it really highlighted activities that were happening in the South. Um, that was all the reporting. Um, but, you know, it was a, a strong reminder that um, it's an honor and a mission and a calling to deliver, to deliver hospice, not a, not a profit-driven strategy. Uh, that's the philosophy of Cascade Health, uh, and that shows in our quality scores uh, and the care that we deliver each and every day um, to, our, to our patients by our incredible team of, again, our nurses, social workers, providers, uh, chaplains, um, and, and really our volunteers, an incredible workforce of our volunteers. You know, hospice is the only service array that requires that we use volunteers to support um, patients in their, in, their, um, in their time of need. Uh, so really an honorable service. Yeah. Uh, a couple questions. Help us define or, or define for us, there is a difference between hospice care and palliative care. Can you talk a little bit about that difference? <laughs> yeah, palliative care is, is kind of a wild, wild west, right? Okay. Because what does palliate mean, right? We know what curative means, yeah. right? And so palliate is, is the opposite of curative. And what we recognize that people who have a palliative care need 
have a diagnosis or a, a disease that is not curable. Okay. And so when we palliate something, we ease the symptoms, right? We're not going to cure the symptoms, but we ease the symptoms. And that's the strategy around palliative care. For our organization, we um, serve folks in our palliative care program um, that are not quite hospice eligible yet or hospice interested. Um, meaning somebody's still on dialysis um, for their kidney, uh, uh, end-stage kidney disease, but they want to continue in dialysis, we would, rather than refer them to hospice, we would refer them to our palliative care program. Um, so that's slightly the difference is when you're on palliative care, you can continue the curative uh, um, treatments. Hospice, it, it, that's the time that they would end. Um, and within that um, framework, um, hospice is really geared towards people who have six months or less prognosis to live. Our palliative care program, we use a more of a two-year prognosis, um, which is pretty broad, um, but many programs talk about palliative care, and I would say once you've seen one palliative care program, you've seen one. <laughs> <laughs> many agencies do it slightly differently, and so if you Google that, it is, it is a, a little bit of a, it, it's a little bit of a wild, wild west uh, framework, but it is an incredibly important service array between home health care or primary care and before someone ends up uh, being referred to hospice. It's a really important service array that's right in between there. And I'm really honored uh, to talk about our team and what an incredible job they do in meeting people's needs in that in-between period where they may not be emotionally, cognitively at that place that hospice is the place they want to head at this point. We can help with an intervention, again, with a, a nurse practitioner, social worker, and, and nurse to support folks. You talked about your volunteers, and I, I would imagine it must be quite something to, to interact with people who volunteer to do something that must be one of the most difficult things in healthcare, is to work with people who are going to die. And, and tell me a little bit about if there's a way to kind of describe the volunteers who serve your organization. They're truly invaluable. Um, and they do it you know, out of a mission and, and desire to give back. Um, many of our hospice volunteers are people that have been touched by our hospice program. Mm. And so they were able to see the work in action, either our hospice program or another hospice program. And so they had a loved one pass and they saw the difference that a volunteer could make. And so it's sort of paying it forward, if that makes sense. And um, they do any number of things to support a family in need. Um, obviously, not any of the clinical side, but they do all the support going out and, and um, doing the little things that is so invaluable when someone is on hospice and needing care. Um, and, and through that emotional challenging point that, uh, you know, it's not a linear process that we go through when somebody is on hospice, that, you know, my feelings are the same and I can just see the progression or a person's... Um, as they move through their, their diagnosis, their, their disease, it's not a linear process. It'll be, they'll have good days and bad days, and it's really important to be able to offer that support to the loved one uh, or the patient themselves by having a volunteer in place to do that. And um, we have volunteers that are out there with our patients in the community. We have other volunteers that are really just helping in the office, uh, doing critical administrative stuff that has to get done so people can deliver that great care. Um, so they do uh, any number of different things that support our operations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to take our, our next break. We're talking with Eric Van Houten. He is the CEO of Cascade Health. We'll be right back. 
I'm Barbara Dellenbach, host of KLCC's Oregon Grapevine. Nikki Price leads the Lincoln City Cultural Center and is the chair of the Oregon Cultural Trust. In this conversation, she emphasizes the importance of art in all walks of life. What I love about the Cultural Center in Lincoln City and other small art centers like it is that it brings art and culture into everyday life. It makes it accessible. It, it makes it your place that you can drop by. Bringing art alive every day on the Oregon Grapevine at klcc.org. And we are back talking with Eric Van Houten, the CEO of Cascade Health. So describing certainly the in-home hospice care, but but you've done more than that. It's, 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 that's a big part of your program. But then, you know, a while ago, you decided we wanted to have our own facility for people. Talk about the Pete Moore Hospice House. Yeah. Um, what a great facility that we have been able to create. Um, so it was a brainchild of one of our board members. Uh, he came to um, our community from Colorado and uh, hospice houses or hospice inpatient units were more prevalent in that community. And he looked at the lay of the land uh, of Eugene Springfield and Lane County and said, this community really needs uh, a hospice inpatient unit. So that was way back in the, um, in the aughts. Uh, <laughs> oh, that feels, like, <laughs> feels like forever ago and just yesterday at the same time. But um, it was about... Um, well over 10 years in the making and, and fundraising, community development, uh, working with our partners uh, to um, you know, fundraise for, find the right piece of property, uh, design, uh, build, and, op- and ultimately open the Pete Moore Hospice House, which we did in February of 2017. So we're just past, well, I guess this February will be our sixth year of operations. Uh, and you know what the Pete Moore Hospice House offers a hospice patient is um, really three levels of care, uh, and I won't drill down too much on that, but um, it is for folks that have uh, symptoms that are out of control that are not easily managed in the home. As I mentioned earlier, you know, hospice, uh, when someone's on hospice care, you know, it's not a linear path. Uh, There are good days and bad days, and sometimes symptoms flare up, and we're there to support people to get their symptoms under control. And they may stay on at the house or they may go back to their home, uh, wherever that is, whether that's in a skilled nursing facility, a long-term care facility, or in their private home. Uh, so the house delivers that level of uh, you know, skilled nursing that you would otherwise potentially see in a hospital. Um, but it's a, um, it's a community-based facility that is much more in alignment with a home. Um, hospitals have all those bells and whistles and strategies that are really critical to someone that's in a curative state, right? Um, but the, ho- the hospice house is really focused on meeting someone who is in end-of-life care needs, making sure sh- we are experts in that area, and that's what we do for people. So from our nursing staff, our social workers, our providers, and our CNAs, all what we do is to make sure that you know that's where our expertise is in supporting people in end of life care, and that's a different that's a different strategy than what you're going to see at a hospital um, uh, that is responsible for any number of different patients across any number of different needs. Uh, so we have that expertise to support people and making sure that they uh, that they and their loved ones' needs are met there at the hospice house. And speaking of expertise, you know we we've talked about some of your 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 main lines of business, but you do more. And, and talk a little bit about some of the smaller but no less important services. You offer mental health counseling. You offer diabetes uh, 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 management. You know, talk about some of the other elements that Cascade Health, health does. Yeah, our, um, our 
behavioral health team or our mental health counseling, uh, we have a, an incredible staff that um, provides services both to um, just any insurance type. Uh, we cover um, from public um, service, public health insurance, including Medicare and Medicaid, all the way to all the commercial plans. But we're also an uh, independent e, uh, employee assistance programming provider. And what that means is uh, we work with employers who make referrals to folks who are struggling, have uh, various needs at work that might uh, benefit from having a counselor or a therapist um, speak with uh, to help resolve some of those challenges that they're facing, whether it's uh, in life or at their work. Uh, so our amazing team also does some just some critical work in our community, supporting our, um, our providers through our um, physician wellness program, as well as we do in critical incident debriefing um, that clinical team is able to support folks when they, um, their employer or, or their close group has lost someone uh, unexpectedly. Uh, we can go out and do a critical incident debrief for folks. So that multi-talented mental health team uh, is is growing, uh, and you know since the pandemic, I'm really proud of. I, I would say I'm whole, I'm proud of our whole community that we have done a better job recognizing that you know mental health is is not a scary phrase. It's not. It should never be different to say, hey, you know, I have uh, a chronic back uh, <laughs> issue, uh, versus saying, you know, I struggle with anxiety or depression. Those things should not be different in our in our uh, terminology and how we speak to each other, uh, and uh, and we've I think we as a culture have come much closer to seeing that as equally um, important and not anything to be ashamed of. So, I think we're, we've made good progress. Maybe that's one good thing that's come out of the pandemic. <laughs> um, and then I'll I'll. Uh, Follow up on that is our diabetes nutrition education program is just a fantastic set of nurses and uh, registered dietitians that support uh, folks who have type one, type two gestational diabetes um, that need assistance in managing that um, really challenging, costly, but you know, in many parts, very manageable disease uh, that we can support people in and keeping um, keeping themselves healthy. Uh, and avoiding other chronic health issues that often comes out of diabe uh, diabetes. So our amazing team works both in the community and in our clinic to support folks uh, who have that diagnosis of diabetes uh, to really keep it, in, keep it under control uh, and uh, make those life changes that are so critical to their, to their long-term uh, lifespan. Yeah. You know, as, as we're kind of getting towards the end, I, I, I would be remiss if, if not asking you about you know, how did you get to be, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I know you're uncomfortable with, with the term, the boss of such a, a far-flung organization that, that does so many different things. Talk, talk to us a little bit about how you got to be where you are and, and, and what, are, what are the elements of Cascade Health that are both the most challenging and, 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 and the most rewarding sitting at the CEO desk? Wow. Yeah, uh, my team knows that my least favorite word is the boss because <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't ascribe to being the boss. I ascribe to being just one member of the team. Uh, and we're all equally important to making sure that um, we can meet <coughs> our, our community's needs. Um, you know, it was an interesting path. Um, I, am a, I have a master's in social work and I worked in the clinical field for about, oh gosh, 15 years um, before, as I like to say, sold my soul and went into administration. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I worked with, um, um, anti-poverty programming, uh, worked a lot with family, youth and families, 
But something that grabbed my attention in the early 2000s was um, the integrated behavioral health model of care. And that's where you bring behavioral health into primary care. And so I was, um, I, I had an opportunity to get training in that and spent a lot of time working in that philosophy. And um, that exposed me to the opportunity to talk more from a, a physical health standpoint. Uh, worked uh, in management of primary care clinics um, and then just had this wonderful opportunity to connect with Cheryl Boyum, our, the CEO for most of the history of Cascade Health. Uh, and uh, had a chance to work with her a little bit and uh, was just really honored that had an opportunity to come over to Cascade back in 2014 and um, been just an incredible uh, decision and uh, just truly honored to work for a company as really as uh, mission oriented, uh, focused on delivering great patient care. Uh, and you know the only way to do that is having outstanding staff and that's what we have. We have just the absolute best uh, clinical, uh, administrative support uh, staff that anyone could imagine. And and what is sort of th the biggest challenge s s for, for, from your point of view, having an organization that is, is, is so, um, not disparate, that's not the right word, but so many moving parts, you know, what is the thing that, that, that maybe is the most challenging aspect of your job? Yeah, what's most challenging? Wow, that's a great question, Michael. Um, I... I'm gonna say what I think is the most challenging piece to my job is the most challenging piece to our organization is that, you know, healthcare is going through the Amazonification of mm. healthcare. Um, there are more multinational conglomerates buying up small um, healthcare entities or large healthcare entities. And, you know, just like we used to have just mom and pop shops all over the place, whether it's um, restaurants, um, uh, boutiques, uh, bakeries, et cetera. We used to have all these unique coffee shops. We used to have all these unique at, uh, organizations or companies. And now that that has gone you know, less and less apparent. And what we're seeing is the same thing is happening in healthcare. There are larger and larger entities that own more and more of um, healthcare services. And they own every part of it. They're the insurance company, they own the providers, and they own the, the laboratory. And so they are one entity. So that's why I call it the Amazonification. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we were just one of many nonprofit healthcare entities in our community when we started back in 2003. Um, privately ind independent and owned. Um, now, we're one of the few that is uh, an independent um, organization, healthcare organization that's in our, you know, that is solely owned in our community. There's not as many of us as there once were. Uh, and that's, uh, that's a challenge. Uh, we don't have uh, the bandwidth and the size and the, um, uh, you know, sort of the big dollars that are um, someplace else in the community or someplace else in the world that are supporting our practice. Uh, all of our services are, are delivered and funded uh, and stay right here in uh, Lane County. Yeah. You know, it's funny, a dear friend of mine who, who, who was always in community banking, and certainly in community banking, same thing as what you're talking about, a, yeah. lot, of, uh, uh, a lot of banks being bought up or a lot of consolidation. And he always, he always talked about the idea of having to earn your independence. Do you feel that way as well? Are, are there strategies you're putting in place or thinking about to continue to operate as an independent? Absolutely. Well, one of the things that I think sets us apart, and I do believe that we are seeing um, a movement amongst patients saying, I'm dissatisfied with what I'm receiving in healthcare. 
And so that is clear more than ever. Um, and so I believe there's a strategy of delivering the highest quality care. If we continue to deliver the highest quality care, then we're going to continue to be a player in our community, that it really is about meeting patients where they're at. And the beauty of everything we do, all of our service lines, that's kind of at the core of everything we do, whether it's our mobile health van team that goes out and, and um, can treat and release a patient uh, that's been injured on the job. Um, what's that patient's voice is critical to that care delivery, and they can say, great, you don't want to be transported, you want to stay and work, I think you're safe enough to do that, great, we'll go back. Or it's our hospice care team when a patient makes a decision about, you know, I, I, um, I'm making this choice around this medication. I don't think I still need it. Okay, can we do that? Can we do that safely? Okay, let's wean them off this medication. Or it's our home health team, or it's our behavioral health team. And, and we really are about supporting people, supporting patients where they're at. Uh, and so we have that honor to do that. So we have, it's sort of written into our mantra of everything we do that patient's choice is what's most important. So I, I just value that tremendously. That, Self-determination, it's, it's a core principle of social work and it's a core principle of what Cascade Health supports. Thanks so much for coming in. This was great to learn about Cascade Health. Well, thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. That was our conversation with Eric Van Houten of Cascade Health. From operating Lane County's only hospice house to serving a large percentage of our community's employers, as well as providing other health needs, Cascade Health continues to serve a growing and diverse population. This has been the Oregon Rainmakers podcast on KLCC. I'm Michael Dunn, your host. Thanks for listening.